This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 18th of January. And welcome back to those of you who last listened to our episode from the, I think, the 28th of December. We've actually been back for a bit longer than we originally said that we would because we were going to come back today and then it was just too much coronavirus going on. So we came back last Tuesday. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, scroll back through your feed and have a listen because we covered some really interesting stuff if we do say so ourselves. We did, including uh, bringing Eddie Holmes on from from Sydney University talking about the new variants. And what he had to say was eye-opening. Absolutely. And one of the other big strong themes that's emerged already this year is uh, the focus on vaccines and the different vaccines that are coming into play, including the one from Pfizer, which sort of seems to be the one that a lot of Australians are keen to get their hands on because of its efficacy rate of reported efficacy rate of 95%. But we're hearing that some people in Norway, some very frail elderly people have died, a larger number than you'd expect after getting this vaccine. So Norman, how do we know if it's just the fact that they're they're old and frail and sick or whether the vaccines actually played a role in these deaths? Well, again, for people who uh, didn't hear us last week, we covered the story of a doctor in Florida who died of very, a very low platelet count, which started coming on about three days after the vaccine. And he ended up having a, a brain hemorrhage before they could really sort out the problem. And that question is a big one about whether or not, you know, it was three days after the vaccine. Was that a coincidence? Was it really attached to the vaccine or not? And we don't know that yet. And here now you've got these reports from Norway where they're investigating, as we are record this coronacast, around about 13 people, elderly, frail elderly people who died after having the Pfizer vaccine. They had side effects of the vaccine, but they're side effects that everybody else gets, which is a bit of a fever, feeling unwell, a pain in the arm and so on. And if it was due to the vaccine, they wondered whether or not those ordinary side effects that everybody else deals with quite well in the frail elderly, they don't cope with very well because it is a vaccine that generates quite a strong immune reaction in the body. Now, here's the thing that you've just got to look out for, and all of us have got to look out for. So we're enthusiastic about this vaccine. It has high efficacy rates uh, in terms of 95% preventing disease. It's out there. Let me just broaden the story out here to childhood vaccines. We've been misled over the years about problems with childhood vaccines when uh, things have happened to kids in the day or two after they've had the vaccine. So with children, they get lots of coughs and colds and they get lots of illnesses. And when they get something that's really closely associated with a vaccine and you go back and ask the parents, was there anything unusual in your child's life just before they got this particular illness? They said, oh, well, they just had their measles, mumps, rubella, or they just had their third um, tetanus, whooping cough, diphtheria immunization. And therefore it goes in people's minds, this must be the vaccine. When repeated research has shown in children, it's just a coincidence. These problems don't arise by and large. And it's not that every vaccine's completely safe. It's just that if you've given the vaccine, it's a big thing in somebody's life. They remember it and then you associate it with with whatever has happened next. Millions of people have now had this Pfizer vaccine. So coming back to the doctor, if it was a problem, you should start to see other people getting this so-called thrombocytopenia, this low platelet count. So far, as far as I'm aware, there aren't 
any or many uh, other cases. There are rumours of it, but it's not been properly investigated yet. So we'll see. If it is a side effect, it looks like being one in several million compared to the thousands of deaths that are happening every day with COVID-19 around the world. With this one with the elderly, it could be the vaccine or it might just be a coincidence in time. And there are lots of coincidences that happen in medicine. You get cancer clusters, which are just random clusters in time, but people ascribe them to telephone towers, windmills, and all sorts of things. So you've really got to study very large populations over time and see whether the pattern repeats elsewhere. And as we go to air, the Norwegian authorities are not blaming the vaccine. They say that they're looking and seeing. Could be, and it could be, that this vaccine should not be given to the frail elderly, but we don't know that yet. So this is a vaccine that 5 million Australians are expected to get, and the health minister has asked for more details. So if anything more comes to light, of course, we'll bring that to you as well. Yes, and it is possible that um, you know a one in a million or one in two million side effect does emerge. And then there's a decision to be made. Is that a deal breaker? that allows it to be that, insists that it gets taken off the market? Or is it um, something that, for example, with the frail elderly, you simply say, well, it's not nothing simple here, that the frail elderly don't get the Pfizer vaccine and everybody else does. With a problem like the doctor, that thrombocytopenia, if that's a real side effect of the vaccine, that becomes much more difficult because it's probably unlikely that you'll be able to find out what the risk factor was other than the vaccine, if indeed it was related. And remember, we're going on newspaper reports here rather than official investigations. So this is... It's better than rumour, but it's still not tied down. So we're really lucky in Australia that we've had very low uh, cases of the virus here. And I mean, luck has only part to do with it. A lot of it has to do with our really strong quarantine rules, which um, some international visitors have discovered. So we've got people coming into Australia for the Australian Open, uh, the tennis tournament, and some chartered flights have had some people on them who have gone on to develop the virus and are now in quarantine, which... Our hearts go out to them. Um, quarantine is no joke. But, um, Norman, most of these people tested negative. Well, no, all of these people tested negative before getting on the plane, but then they've tested positive once they've arrived. What value do we have in doing this pre-flight testing that we've been talking about if people can just test positive a couple of days down the track? Well, I think we talked about this last week when we talked about the variant and the, the response of the federal government to or the national cabinet to the variant and taking precautions. So it depends on how you test. I mean, a positive test before you get on the plane means in a high prevalence country where there's a lot of virus around, it means that you almost certainly are positive with having the virus, therefore you don't get on the plane. So it has that value. There's almost no value, though, to a negative test. So getting getting on the plane with a negative test means virtually nothing because you could have the virus and it's a false negative because you're early on and the 24-hour flight it's evolved and it's grown and you've developed and you've developed a positive test and um, and that's just the way that's just the limited value of the testing before you 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 get on the plane but you got to have some sort of threshold to allow people to travel if they need to go somewhere. Yeah, and a negative test before you get on is fine, but you've got to test them when they when they arrive because if they're positive, then they've got to go into quarantine. And then you've got the issue of um, an enclosed environment, which is the are these charter flights that they're coming out on, presumably with a lot of social social distancing, but there's still a possibility of a cluster outbreak on one of these planes, and therefore it's just like being in you know, the liquor store in Western Sydney or um, a restaurant or a wedding, 
you, everybody's got to be quarantined because everybody's classified as a close contact. So if someone has tested positive when they get here, are they going to be able to participate in the Australian Open by the time it starts? So the, the answer is it's likely that a lot of them will be able to play because it's nearly three weeks and the normal confinement period is two weeks. The problem is they're not going to be able to train and some of them are going to have to go into a medi hotel for people who are positive. So it's not easy for them. But that's the way it's got to be. If you're going to have to, if you're going to have one of these uh, tournaments from places where there's just an unbelievable amount of COVID nineteen now, a lot of people are going to come in positive. Yeah, it's not a huge surprise when you consider the prevalence of the virus overseas. Well, Norman, we've got lots of questions to put you to, to put to you today. If you've got a sec, um, someone's asking what tests have been done on the side effects of a vaccine if you already have immunity to the virus naturally, and then you're also given a vaccine as well? Could it, could it have any negative side effects? The answer is we don't know. It's not a silly question because we there are theoretical risks of a hyperimmune reaction when you've had a vaccine. There, there, none of the trials have shown that. But whether you'd get a hyperimmune reaction with a COVID-19 infection, if you've got a vaccine plus um, having had antibodies on board... Most of the trials, I think, have have checked antibodies before you've entered the trial to see whether or not you've um, had an infection beforehand. Bottom line is we don't know the answer to that question. And another person saying, I increasingly meet people who are suspicious about a vaccine. They usually say, we don't know what it's in it or maybe it will cause big health problems down the line. How do you talk to people with those sorts of views? Well, I think if you're in Australia and you're vaccine hesitant, then wait. I mean, nobody's forcing you to have the vaccine. Hang on in there and just wait and see what happens with the various vaccines and have it later on in the year. However, if you're elderly, if, you're, um, if you've got problems like diabetes, heart disease and other chronic health problems, then you probably should you know, swallow your concerns and have the vaccine because the risks of having the real infection are too great. But if you're otherwise healthy... And you want to wait. So wait, nobody's forcing you to do this. But it may well be that to you know, be able to continue employment in certain jobs, uh, to work in certain areas, to be able to travel, maybe even travel interstate, that you're going to have to prove that you've had the immunization. But you can hold on there. So I, I think that the, the message is that's fine. Don't, don't, there's no point in forcing this. Make up your own mind. Look at the information that's coming through. It's true, we won't know if there are health problems two, three, four years after these vaccines. But in fact, there, there are, I, I'm not aware of many vaccines where there have been those sorts of problems down the track. We know from inf real infections like measles, real infections, that you can get serious problems down the track, but not the vaccines. The problems tend to be much more immediate. You know, the immediate reaction, first couple of months, maybe the first year. And there are theoretical reasons that you might be concerned to have autoimmune disease affecting your immune system. You know, those sorts of things could be a problem. Millions of people are, have been immunized so far. They are, in many countries, they are being watched, particularly Israel. And we'll see. From my point of view, I'll be happy to go with whatever vaccines available based on the clinical trial evidence, because that's usually what, you know, what you've got to go on. Well, that's all we've got time for on CoronaCast today. If you've got a question or a comment, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and click on Ask a Question and mention CoronaCast so we can pick it up. And we will see you tomorrow. See you then. Bye.